Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, Your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. This passage shows our Lord once more at Capernaum, Once more, we find him doing his accustomed work, preaching the word and healing those that were sick. We see in these verses what great spiritual privileges some people enjoy and yet make no use of them. This is a truth which is strikingly illustrated by the history of Capernaum. No city in Palestine appears to have enjoyed so much of our Lord's presence during his earthly ministry as did this city. It was the place where he dwelt, after he left Nazareth, Matthew 4.13. It was the place where many of his miracles were worked, and many of his sermons delivered. But nothing that Jesus said or did seems to have had any effect on the hearts of the inhabitants. They crowded to hear him, as we read in this passage, until there was no room at the door. They were amazed. They were astonished. They were filled with wonder at his mighty works. But they were not converted. They lived in the full noon blaze of the sun of righteousness, and yet their hearts remained hard. They drew from our Lord the heaviest condemnation that he ever pronounced against any place except Jerusalem. And you, people of Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in Sodom, it would still be here today. I assure you, Sodom will be better off on the day of judgment than for you. Matthew eleven twenty three and 24. It is good for us all to mark well this case of Capernaum. We are all too apt to suppose that it needs nothing but the powerful preaching of the gospel to convert people's souls, and that if the gospel is only brought into a place everyone must believe, we forget that amazing power of unbelief and the depth of man's enmity against God. We forget that the Capernaumites heard the most faultless preaching 
and saw it confirmed by the most surprising miracles, and yet remained dead in trespasses and sins. We need reminding that the same gospel, which is the aroma of life to some, is the aroma of death to others, and that the same fire which softens the wax will also harden the clay. Nothing, in fact, seems to harden men's heart so much as to hear the gospel regularly and yet deliberately prefer the service of sin and the world. Never was there a people so highly favored as the people of Capernaum, and never was there a people who appear to have become so hard. Let us beware of walking in their steps. We ought often to use the prayer of the litany, From hardness of heart, good Lord, deliver us. We see in the second place from these verses how great a blessing affliction may prove to a man's soul. We are told that one paralyzed was brought to our Lord at Capernaum in order to be healed. Helpless and impotent, he was carried in his bed by four kind friends and let down into the midst of the place where Jesus was preaching. At once the object of the man's desire was granted. The great physician of soul and body saw him and gave him speedy relief. He restored him to health and strength. He granted him the far greater blessing of forgiveness of sins. In short, the man who had been carried from his house that morning weak, dependent, and bowed down both in body and soul, returned to his house rejoicing. Who can doubt that to the end of his days this man would thank God for his paralysis? Without it, he probably would have lived and died in ignorance and never seen Christ at all. Without it, he might have kept his sheep on the green hills of Galilee all his life long and never been brought to Christ and never heard these blessed words, Your sins are forgiven. That paralysis was indeed a blessing. Who can tell but it was the beginning of eternal life to his soul? How many in every age can testify that this paralyzed man's experience has been their own? They have learned wisdom by affliction. Bereavements have proved mercies. Losses have provided real gains. Sicknesses have led them to the great physician of souls, sent them to the Bible, shut out the world, shown them their foolishness, taught them to pray. Thousands can say like David, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Psalm 119, verse 71. Let us beware of murmuring under affliction. We may be sure there is needs be for every cross and a wise reason for every trial. Every sickness and sorrow is a gracious message from God and is meant to call us nearer to him. Let us pray that we may learn the lesson that each affliction is appointed to convey. Let us see that we refuse not him that speaks. We see in the last place in these verses the priestly power of forgiving sins, which is possessed by our Lord Jesus Christ. We read that our Lord said to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven. He said these words with a meaning. He knew the hearts of the scribes by whom he was surrounded. He intended to show them that he laid claim to be the true high priest and to have the power of absolving sinners, though at present the claim was seldom put forward. But that he had the power he told them expressly. He says, The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. In saying, your sins are forgiven, 
he had only exercised his rightful office. Let us consider how great must be the authority of him who has the power to forgive sins. This is the thing that none can do but God. No angel in heaven, no man upon earth, no church in council, no minister of any denomination can take away from the sinner's conscience the load of guilt and give him peace with God. They may point to the fountain open for all sinners. They may declare with authority whose sins God is willing to forgive, but they cannot absolve by their own authority. They cannot put away transgressions. This is the particular prerogative of God and a prerogative which he has put in the hands of his Son, Jesus Christ. Let us think for a moment how great a blessing it is that Jesus is our great high priest and that we know where to go for absolution. We must have a high priest and a sacrifice between ourselves and God. Conscience demands an atonement for our many sins. God's holiness makes it absolutely necessary. Without an atoning priest, there can be no peace of soul. Jesus Christ is the very priest that we need, mighty to forgive and pardon, tender-hearted and willing to save. And now, let us ask ourselves whether we have yet known the Lord Jesus as our high priest. Have we applied to him? Have we sought absolution? If not, we are yet in our sins. May we never rest until the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we have sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his voice saying, Son, your sins are forgiven. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today. May the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for his glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, do we find confidence sitting under good preaching and a good church rather than the good news that is spoken and proclaimed Sunday after Sunday? Is it hardening our hearts or softening them? Second, do we see the various afflictions sent our way as gracious gifts from God or as God's curse upon us? Do we tend to murmur when tried? Do we see trials as opportunities to learn? And lastly, have we gone to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins? Have we heard him tell us by faith that our sins are forgiven?